0: Hello everyone, Strangely here, speaking to you from Fresno, California, where Sarah and I are on tour. Which is why this episode is a week late. We were in the middle of the Rogue Festival and both of us completely forgot that an episode had to happen. Uh, so that's that's mostly my bad, because I do much of the editing for this show and didn't have an episode ready to upload. This is also our very first All or None episode where one of us has seen all of a given show and the other one has seen none of it. So get ready for a brand new format that we're trying out. We hope you folks like it and we'd love to hear what you think of it.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Shea.
0: And I'm Strangely Duisberg.
1: Welcome to the Pilot House.
0: podcast where we watch all the shows we miss the first time around.
1: We try to figure out... Where the heck they were going with this?
0: Sarah, what do you know about Longmire?
1: Mostly what you have told me about it. It's a western-ish type of show. I believe the main character, who I assume is Mr. Longmire, is a lawman of some variety. Uh, it's a fairly recent show within the last, I think, five years or something. Uh, and I think it's set in the present. He wears a cowboy hat. Lou Diamond Phillips is on it. But he's not Mr. Longmire. I don't think. I think he's on it, but he's somebody else. It Was it based on a show from another country?
0: No, it is based on a series of, like, novels. Oh, okay. Arguably in the airport fiction genre.
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that... Okay, sure. Uh, And yeah, I think uh, you've just told me that you, you like it and you watched it with your folks and they liked it, and I've had it in my Netflix queue for a while because I wanted to check it out. So I think that's about it. That's all I got.
0: All right. I have seen all of Longmire, and I'm very excited to hear your thoughts and speculations based upon... The first episode of the series.
1: And you have not revisited the pilot, so it'll be the first time for you rewatching the pilot, right? Yes. Yeah, so you may have some some realizations about the pilot based on on the rest of the show which will be interesting too
0: yeah i'm i'm really i'm really excited i I enjoyed the the full obviously i enjoyed the show to get all the way to the end of i think five or six seasons and i i am really curious to go back and revisit that pilot so let's go watch longmire
1: yeah let's go visit mr longmire
0: Sarah has just watched Longmire for the first time. Indeed, I have. We're about to talk about it. But before we go any further, I just want to let you all know, I, I'm fighting a bit of a cold. And uh, so I may need to pause to cough, which seems to happen more often when Sarah makes me laugh.
1: And I'm not going to try to not make Strangely laugh. It would make it for a very boring episode. So there might be some coughs that make their way through into the episode. We'll try to edit them as much as we can. But uh, consider yourself warned. Anyway, I just watched... First episode of Longmire. Mm-hmm. Longmire was an A and E show, and originally started in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then, what did you say? Three seasons? Two seasons?
0: Yeah, two or three seasons. They,
1: they dropped it, and Netflix was like, "Scoop," and yeah. uh, produced the remaining—sorry, th- three, three yeah. more seasons. A total of five seasons, 2012 to 2017. Mm-hmm. They so, tossed
0: it, left it. Netflix pulled up quick to retrieve it, which clever.
1: And every now and then.
0: I mean, fun fact about that, this is one of the, the first shows that I remembered Netflix kind of uh, using that model on. It's something that became much more popular with things like Rest Development.
1: Well, now every time something gets canceled, people are like, Netflix, please save it.
0: Mm-hmm. Or uh, Amazon just picked up The Expanse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's just interesting that some of these things are getting a second life outside of their original broadcast run on yeah. traditional television.
1: Yeah, that's cool because I am stoked to watch the rest of the show, spoiler alert, and I'm glad that there are, you know, five seasons for me. In the how wrong were we, or in this case, how wrong was I department, nothing specific. I think I expected, I said it was Western-ish and it's not not Western-ish. Mm-hmm. I think I expected to be a little more. I expected to see horses. Mm. <laughs> I just said that like in a very dreamy sort of way. I thought I would see horses. In general, yeah, uh, I was not wrong. He does wear a cowboy hat. Lou Diamond Phillips is there. He is Mr. Longmire. I was really hoping it would turn out Longmire was the town. And it would be (laughs) hilarious that I kept calling him Mr. Longmire. But nope, his name is Sheriff Longmire. That is who he is. I was correct. The only things that I was wrong about was just a general... I, I had no idea what the vibe of the show was gonna uh-huh. be like, which was much more distinct than I expected, which we'll get into.
0: It it is interesting that that your takeaway from this is that it's less of a western than you thought, because I I think in, in so many ways it's a western, very much in the way that like something like uh, the television program Firefly was a Western. Like yeah. it's, it's like the the characters and personas of Westerns but set in a completely different setting than we're used to seeing those characters and personas,
1: yeah. see, I think I would describe this show to someone else as a story about a sheriff in a small town. Uh-huh. I was feeling the small town vibe more than the western vibe, right. It is a small town in Wyoming. Uh-huh. He does wear a cowboy hat, yeah. Uh, but yeah, i I think i was I was not getting the vibe that they were trying to go for a western. Yeah. They they weren't trying to reference the tropes of Westerns. To, I didn't perceive that. But uh, let's get into the uh, recap, starting with our one-sentence synopsis. A gruff but honest small-town sheriff solves crimes as he deals with the death of his wife, a deputy who's trying to steal his job, and tensions between his office and the tribal police on the nearby Cheyenne Reservation. What do you think? Does that apply to the whole show or just the pilot? Like... I was going for what I think the whole show is. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh yeah, I mean that's a pretty good summary of sort of the basic nuts and bolts of this show.
1: Awesome. I'm great at this. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a mystery, so there's lots of little ins and outs and moments and I tried to keep it as as tight as possible so we didn't get bogged down in the details. That
0: is also to say this carries a heavy spoiler warning. If you think you might be interested in seeing a show that Sarah and I both like,
1: yeah. I recommend based on that synopsis
0: watching the show before you listen to the episode.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. It's not as much a spoiler as like the pilot of Hustle, for example, no. which yeah, but it's this, this show is good. It's on Netflix. Just pause this and go watch it. What's the big deal? <laughs> anyway, we start the show meeting our hero, mm-hmm. Sheriff Walt Longmire, ignoring calls from one of his deputies, who is leaving messages on his answering machine, uh, in his, like, shotgun shack in the woods, practically. It's like, it's 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 a log cabin. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, I didn't expect it to be this small town. Um but we learn later it's he's kind of going for that life. Mm-hmm. Not everyone in the show lives in a log cabin in the woods. No. Uh, it's telegraphed pretty much right away that he's recently lost his wife. Uh, her voice is on the answering machine message. You know, you've just you've reached the Long Myers and he kind of does this pause that I felt like immediately telegraphed everything about he was grieving, but also thinking, I can't change it. Mm -hmm. which i freaking get that took me like two years to delete my grandfather's phone number from my phone and that's uh not like losing your wife you know right later we find out that his wife died about a year ago and he's still not dealing with it really which i honestly was i was kind of leaning towards a divorce actually at first i was gonna turn out she left him um so when uh, deputy Vic, katie sackoff's character who's the one who's been leaving him messages telling him to come meet her somewhere. Finally, he leaves a message saying they've got a dead body. Uh, He leaves his rugged cabin in the woods to meet her even further out in the woods. Turns out it's a sheep that's been shot, reported by some hunters. She said dead body to get him out there because it's supposed to be her day off. She's fun. Pretty soon, they discover another dead body, and this time it's a human. And it's notable that Walt does not recognize the man, uh, which is unusual for this small town. Mm Mm-hmm. It's sort of weird that they make a big deal about saying, oh, looks like the body was already stiff before the snow fell last night, so we'll be able to, you know, call the weather service to get a time of death. And it's like, there's like a foot of snow all around this guy, and he's got like a dusting on his back. This guy is, no. Also, they're like, there are no footprints around the body. He must have been shot from far away. That foot is trampled like they just had a hoedown. Snow is all churned up like there was a rodeo. Like, it's not perfect snow. I'm like, yeah. What are they doing? Like, I get it would be very hard for a TV show to, like, place an actor in perfect, pristine snow. But, like, Do they not know how snow works or do they think that we don't? Back at the sheriff's station... (laughs) Uh, we meet the rest of his crew, uh, long-suffering secretary, classic, mm-hmm. but not in a, like, waiting for him to come to his senses uh, uh, way, just like in a, like, look, I've got kids to feed at home. Could we just get through this kind yeah. of more vibe? A brash and smug young deputy who's more interested in glad-handing, as Walt puts it, uh, than in actual police work. and uh, I called him Deputy Dickhead.
0: That's, uh, <laughs> that's actually my personal nickname for him <laughs> as well. Really? I've never said it out loud,
1: but as soon as I said it, you went, "Oh yeah, I do think of him as Deputy Dickhead." Yeah. I just wrote it and then went, "Oh yeah, we used to do nicknames on this show all the time, and we just got better at remembering character names." <laughs> but uh, yeah, as soon as I wrote it, I went, "Oh yeah, that's his name." Um, and then also, we meet a third deputy who gets basically no more character in this pilot than wide-eyed and slightly bumbling. Uh, I nicknamed him Deputy Golly, because I was imagining that if this show, if the basic premise of this show had been made in like the 60s, Uh that character would say Golly a lot.
0: Deputy Ferguson. Oh. And they call him the Ferg, (laughs) which I'm bringing up because it absolutely underscores what you're saying yeah like that he's he is that heavy. kind of character especially in you could get away
1: with calling him the ferg yeah
0: wow yeah
1: what huh he's surprised by everything and a little bit like well i better do what the boss says yeah, yeah. in a likable way uh-huh. but yeah he doesn't get to do much they uh, identify the man figure out he lives like five hours away it's weird that he was in town walt then announces he's gonna go notify the next of kin and everyone is surprised Deputy Golly is like, Wa? Walt hasn't done a notification in a long time. And Deputy Dickhead is like, yeah, he hasn't done much of anything in a long time. We're getting a lot of clues throughout the show that Walt has not been on top of his game since his wife died. Yeah. He has, in fact, been playing some other game called Sit Alone in Your Room and, and Cry. Um, <laughs> it's a fun game. I play it all the time. Walt then speaks to the man's widow and He cries. Yeah. He loses his cool. He does not deliver the news in a way that is easy for her to hear. Not mm-hmm. that it's ever easy, but, you know, usually they walk in and say, I have some bad news. And then they say, your your husband's been killed or something like that. He goes, your husband, your husband. And she's like, what? Please, God, just say something. And it's it's a really intense scene, actually. Yeah. I loved the way they shot this scene. I... I I want to, it's an overarching show thing, but I kind of, I feel like this is the, the right spot yeah, to mention no, this it. Yeah, is, this is perfect. Which is, when he knocks on her door and uh, asks if, if he can come in, she's like, um, okay. They take a moment to shoot him wiping his feet mm-hmm. and then taking off his hat. It's very deliberate that they yeah. show these two things as he enters the house. It, it gives it the feeling of almost a ritual of him preparing mm-hmm. himself for what he's about to do. And also kind of highlights that he's a bit old-fashioned and polite.
0: Yeah. And this is also something that, like, one of the reasons I love this pilot and was super excited to have you look at it and get a chance to talk to you about it, and this is something that the series continues to do, is that it's the best kind of storytelling in the medium of film and television, where... You can learn about characters based on what they do yeah. and how they do it. Yeah. He takes the time to wipe his boots on her mat. Yeah. And it's a and really... And it's
1: not, it's not muddy or rainy or right. snowy there. Right. His boots aren't especially dirty, but he still does it sort of as a, almost like a ritual.
0: It's such an interesting character beat because we've already seen in this episode that he's somebody who lives in this rustic cabin off away from civilization doesn't really roll with sort of the 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 attitudes and feelings of the rest of modern humanity he doesn't own a cell phone he's you know against that sort of thing and yet he observes these kind of old-fashioned niceties that that make him really easy to like yeah in this this really beautiful way not only that but the the way that the show will deliberately shoot something like that or in the same scene during the during the dialogue between him and the this new widow the camera shoots them from all the way to the other side of the room and you see there's a bunch of fl- uh, fishing flies being tied on her table yeah and they're in the foreground and it's something that the show will do quite often that yeah. they'll have these bits of set dressing and art direction type stuff and they'll put it in the foreground and the characters will be 30 feet away yeah having a really intimate dialogue exchange but you're seeing their world in a way that i feel television often neglects yeah it's sort of like it's a messy apartment or whatever in the script but then you don't you kind of it's in the background
1: yeah well and, and he comments on it. he says oh do you fish and she goes mm-hmm. no when i i tie lures for a company it's a little bit of extra spending money and that's the sort of thing in a murder mystery that you'd absolutely expect to come back later.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that I just tie lure is in my spare time. You were saying, Mr. Poirot. You know, it's like the kind of thing that would absolutely. And then, aha, a feather on the body, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely just a, a little moment. And this show has a lot of those little moments. It takes its time. Yeah. I found a review of this show from clearly early in its run, mm-hmm. a very negative review, that referred to it as plodding along like a drunken elk or something like that. And I'm like, okay, um, maybe go watch more, uh, you know, CSI. Like, I'd, I'd... sorry there wasn't, like, a hacking montage. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, uh, really half-assed electronica music uh, while they were chasing down the bad guys or something. Like, this show is so slow in such a good way that just feels good. It takes time with moments and some of them are are meaningful moments like showing him, you know, brushing off his boots. There are other moments where it's just, it just feels like they're taking a moment. It's not necessarily going to come back later or mean anything. It's just a visual moment. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to describe.
0: It's a style of filmmaking. One of the best ways I've heard it described is uh, James Mangold, the writer director of The Wolverine and then more recently Logan, was talking about how excited he was to make Logan as an R-rated film because he could just make it for adults and he could have scenes take longer and have people just sit there and oh, look at each other and and speak. And you do see that in that movie. I think one of the reasons that that film Logan is so beloved by so many people is that it takes time with the characters and there are dialogue exchanges and moments that aren't just reinforcing the plot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, did you did you pick up the sodas? No, I forgot them. Oh, I do love sodas. You know, just think, but it's like long, drawn out, things like that. And this show does that as well. And it's something that, in the age of like slick, snappy things, it, it's just about sense of place yeah. and being there.
1: And despite that, a lot happens in this yeah. episode, actually. Like, there's quite a lot of little twists and turns, which is why we should probably get back to the recap. Yeah. But I, I, I don't want this to go on for a million years, but... Yeah, there's so much that happens and yet it happens sort of swaddled in these, yeah, sense, these moments that give you the sense of place or the sense of this character. Yeah. In in the scene, as he's telling her that her husband has died, they show that he's having a hard time saying it. And then when he says it, instead of showing her breaking down or him, they show a close up of his boots and a single tear drops on them. And it's a, it was a, it's great. Like, yeah. I was just—I was not expecting that kind of filmmaking yeah, in exactly. the show. I, I, that's when I was starting to be like, "Oh, I love this. This is great." Also, I think in the there's a little bit of a shot as he's leaving town to go drive mm-hmm. to this other town five hours away, where he's just driving through his small town, and they show Lou Diamond Phillips. Just like standing by a...
0: It's the little Spencer nickel dispenser. Yeah,
1: little nickel dispenser. And he just raises a hand and a hello to Walt. And Walt like nods at him or whatever. He says nothing. It does nothing to add to the plot or whatever. We made his character later in what would have been a perfect scene to reveal the character for the first time. But it's it's like they were so excited that they got Lou Diamond Phillips that they were like, Come on, let's get him in there. Yeah. And I was excited too. I was making some handwritten notes while I was watching the episode. Just so I wouldn't kind of forget some of my impressions. And I wrote in all caps, Oh, hi there, Lou Diamond Phillips. How are you? Hot? That's what I thought.
0: Because <laughs> I mean, he's so
1: good looking, you guys. If you're not familiar with Lou Diamond Phillips, he is so handsome still. I mean, this was 2012, but yeah. like, he's just a good looking guy. He's aging real well. Mm-hmm. Real well. If you have not seen him since La Bamba, there's a whole new era of Lou Diamond Phillips hotness you have not witnessed. Moving on. <laughs> Anyway, he's driving back to his town, he's on the highway, and he sees just a big gaudy old billboard advertising that Deputy Dickhead is running for sheriff against him, which he clearly did not know. And this information distracts him from the road enough that he drifts into the other lane, nearly crashes into a semi, and ends up crashing his truck. Like, flips his truck.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Still drivable later, amazingly. But, uh, you know, he has to, like, cut the... Seatbelt. Seatbelt to get himself out. So what? I guess he was driving without a seatbelt later. Did he give himself a ticket? He's clearly driving the truck that has not been seen to. Yeah. <laughs> later. But this is, a, this is a good example of one of those moments. Like, it's an extended sequence where he sort of comes to sideways in his truck. He fumbles for his pocket knife in his pocket. It falls and he has to stretch and just barely grab it from where it's fallen through the window onto the ground. Manages to pick it up, flip it flip it open, you know, cut himself out. And then he crawls out and just sits there on top of the truck for a minute and kind of goes, like, well, that just fucking happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he has totaled his truck, or not totaled it, but crashed his truck, has basically no bearing on the plot. There's yeah. not like a scene later where he can't catch somebody because his truck's fucked up or something. The only part of the plot it had some bearing on is that we see that a bunch of crushed beer cans are on the ground which we're supposed to understand has fallen out of the truck Uh i thought it was just trash on the ground by the side of the road yeah because we've been given no other indication to suggest he's an alcoholic or something like that right um but it does it comes up later which we'll get to when he gets back to his office vic and golly have found some evidence sorry ferguson uh including the bullet that i was killed with which is conveniently very distinctive just Mm -hmm. like Always handy. Turns out it's from this, like, antique sniper rifle. Walt goes to this local pawn shop, gets a list of people who've bought them in the last year from the owner. Everyone on the list lives on the nearby Cheyenne Reservation. And Walt and Vic attempt to go there to question these people. But there is a lot of tension between him and the tribal police. And since he has no authority there, they basically kick him off. I mean, uh, the sergeant or whoever is in charge mm-hmm. who shows up punches him in the face
0: matthias
1: matthias good name uh it's yeah it's it's not not good times he, he he goes they go so far as to say that he put their police chief in jail for an extortion racket or something like that um they're not pleased with him so they go back to the office and dickhead has conveniently suddenly remembered that the dead man actually came into the office about six months ago saying he was looking for a missing teenage girl on behalf of her mother. But since the girl and her mother are both from the reservation, apparently at the time, Deputy Dickhead just forwarded on the information to the tribal police and sent the guy on his way because he's not a family member, so he couldn't file a missing persons report. Um, So to go back onto the reservation, which they've been just kicked off of, Uh, Walt reaches out to his friend Henry for help. Henry is Lou Diamond Phillips' character. Mm. He is Cheyenne and lives in town and owns a bar called the Red Pony. So he convinces... And this is the scene where it would have been a fine time to introduce Henry as a character. But, like, they couldn't wait. (laughs) They had to give Lou Diamond Phillips a nice moment where he, like, slowly uses his hand to sort of wave at Walt and sort of look thoughtfully at Walt's truck. Um... So Henry sneaks him onto the reservation in the back of his truck, where they speak to the girl's mother, who Henry already knows. Turns out the girl is 16. She's been missing, like, three months. The mom's worried she's gotten involved in prostitution, because she's got, like, one phone call from the girl. Walt mentions the dead man, and the mom reveals he was the girl's father. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, Walt conceals the fact that the man is dead from the mom in this scene, and it never pays off. Yeah. I wasn't clear why he did that. They, ne- they don't telegraph that he's doing that because he thinks she might be involved. Like, she says, oh, I didn't think he would help. We've, we've basically had no contact since we, you know, when he decided he was going to, you know, get married. He asked me not to call him again, and I didn't call him until she went missing because it seemed like right. an emergency and blah, blah, blah. She's like, I didn't think he was actually going to do anything. Would you tell him thank you? And Walter just goes, I will. Yeah. it's ah, kind of it- weird.
0: It's a, it's a, this is a, you know, without getting into too much like looking ahead stuff. This is kind of a character quirk of Walt that he will often do things that don't really make sense in an effort to spare people's feelings or be kind. And it's like, he's just found out that this woman is worried about her daughter for getting into prostitution or whatever. And it, my read on the scene because it was something that I thought was odd when I started and yeah. coming back to this episode is that he just didn't want to pile more grief on her in that moment. Like she's talking to the... That's fair. Last
1: time he had to tell right. a woman who cared about this man that he's dead, he really broke down about it. So it might have been partially him not being able to do it as yeah. well. That's and a good point. There's
0: just like sort of some emotional maneuvering, which I, Robert Taylor plays a lot of these scenes just beautifully like there's yeah, such a rich australian. inner life to this character yeah he's australian yeah, i
1: looked i saw something uh, later about him being australian and i'm like oof. i mean he yeah he nailed it nailed mm-hmm. the accent and everything it's yeah. um no 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 moments where he says something a little bit weird i mean it's like um it's hugh laurie on house levels of like seamlessly yeah. convincingly playing an american
0: and the character just feels so lived in yeah. From the very first few shots of this episode. Mm-hmm.
1: he's He felt very... Not cliche in so many ways. Like, he could have been more of a caricature.
0: Uh-huh. But he feels archetypal. Yeah.
1: yeah. Which is, he's I guess, a, the
0: good side of the cliche. Yeah,
1: thing. that's a good point. He's archetypal, but he's not a caricature. Yeah. And that's, I think, a lot to Robert Taylor's credit, let's say. Yeah. On the drive back into town, Walt kind of asks Henry if he's heard anything about a prostitution ring in town because he says something about like he he just busted a big prostitution ring like last year and he thought he would cleaned up the town and there was no more prostitution left in their yeah. town so he sent a non-plus to hear about it and he asks Henry like you heard anything and Henry's like not my scene I never had to pay for it ooh because he's hot but also uh Walt says, have I missed a step or is this happening? And he goes, well, I wouldn't know, but yeah, you have missed a step. And he says like, well, I am asking you if there's prostitution happening in my own damn city. So clearly, yes. Yeah. The last year has not been tops for me. They have a moment at some point, I remember what scene it happens in where Henry says, he's like, he says something to Henry about like, how did I miss this? And Henry's like, you're idealistic. You don't want to believe that stuff like this is happening. And it means sometimes you miss things. Yeah, Um, And it is, he really does read as idealistic. At some point in the episode, he refers to this prostitution ring, which we learn is being run out of an RV, which moves around so it won't get caught, and is like trafficking in underage girls. He refers to it as an escort service, which is rather generous (laughs) and sort of adorably wholesome of him.
0: Right, which one of the sort of recurring motifs in the series that was especially prevalent in, the, the first season that it's like he is in rural, small town, like out in the, you know, out in the West somewhere. And yet he's yeah. still dealing with big city problems.
1: Yeah. When he goes to see the woman, the widow, he says, I'm from town. She goes, that's nearly Montana. Yeah. It's like it's out. It's out of a it's not in the city center.
0: No. And, it, you know, he he has to deal with, you know there's prostitution in this episode and then there's like drug running and like all kinds of things like that later in the series. And it's, I I think one of the reasons I love it is it's one of those things sort of like a spoon river anthology or, uh, you know, Fargo where you're taking this sort of myth of sort of small town life and upending it by showing that anywhere that people are all the attendant problems of there being people will happen. Yeah. And it, and the and show he, does that beautifully.
1: He comes off as a little old-fashioned and sort of wholesome without being annoyingly so or without coming off as like a holier-than-thou sort of wholesomeness, you know? Uh-huh. He's not, like, judging other people so much. I mean, a little, but like... It it's, it doesn't come off as in a, like... Ugh, you A character who is old-fashioned and wholesome can easily become terrible. Especially in this economy. But he... You feel good about him. Anyway, there's this and that and a bunch of detective stuff. They learn about the brothel being run out of an RV. They find out it was parked near the crime scene the night of the murder. Their informant confirms that the missing girl was there and points the finger at Henry by saying, you know, you want a hooker in this town? You go see the Indian at the Red Pony. And Walt just fucking busts into the Red Pony and says, Henry, you run out of... Escort service out of this bar, and Ernie's like, "Yo, we've been friends since we were like ten. What are you, what? You're seriously asking me this question?" And Walt just looks at him like, "I'm trying to get answers," and he's like, "Okay, still, what the fuck though?" He doesn't even answer him. He just is like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dignify that with an answer." And it turns out later in the episode, there's a nut, there's a fucking busboy who's also Cheyenne. You know. Like, it could be anybody. It could just be a guy who hangs out at the Red Pony a lot. And it just gets around, go talk to that guy. Uh-huh. It just instantly assumes it's the guy he's known for 37 years. Henry has a line about, like, so, 38 years then. Because we've been friends for 37, so I'm guessing 38 years is how long you have to know Walt Longmire before he trusts you. And it's like, burn! So then there's some stuff with Walt's daughter. She's a lawyer. She comes to visit him at the house mm-hmm. and is concerned because she heard about the beer cans. In the car. And uh-huh. he's like, I'm not drinking. Yeah. But for some reason, saves the explanation for the bear cans until a more resonant moment later in the episode. But she's also concerned because he has not dealt with his wife's ashes. she That's the scene where we get the confirmation she is dead. Yeah. And there's like a wooden box with a little, you know, metal uh, plaque that says T on it. And he sees that earlier in the episode and then gets his can coffee, of girl. coffee instead. Yeah. Also, he makes his coffee with a French press, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Because it seems like he'd be... If he was the tedious version of this character, he'd be like, I don't know about no French press. I boil my coffee in a pan or whatever. Yeah. But it makes fucking sense. You don't need filters. You don't need to uh-huh. constantly buying filters. It doesn't require electricity. Mm-hmm. Boil water, pour it in the fucking French press. It's actually a very logical way for a guy like that to make coffee. Yeah. That's the kind of little detail I liked. But anyway, she brings that box into the onto uh, the front porch and goes, I found it in the kitchen. Dad, you're keeping mom's ashes in the kitchen? I'm worried about you. And she's also saying, people are asking me where they can go pay their respects. Like, put her ashes in, the maus- in a mausoleum or scatter them somewhere. Put up a, a plaque somewhere. Put, put a plaque on a damn bench, but like, do something to end it. Yeah. She's basically saying, you need to like, bring this to a close. You can't just keep holding onto her ashes in a box in the kitchen. Uh, then we go back to the office and Deputy Dickhead kind of apologizes for not telling Walt he was running against him. He says, I, the, the signs weren't supposed to go up until I told you. Right. But then he also accuses Walt of being washed up and a drunk. And it's that moment that he says, anyone who's ever sat down and had a beer with me knows that I drink Rainier. And I was like, they have Rainier in Wyoming? Rainier is a, is a Washington beer. So I was like, I've met freak people from California who are like, Oh, you can only, you can't get Rainier in California, so I, was, I didn't really think you could get it that many places.
0: So, fun fact, which is Rainier beer, 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 local reference, which is uh, brewed in Seattle, is named for Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. which is a national park. And within the national park of Mount Rainier is a historic district, like a you know an old town or whatever kind of mm-hmm. historic district, and that town is called Longmire.
1: Oh. Mm-hmm.
0: Which was named after a, a man who led a wagon train to Tacoma, you know, back in the pioneer days. Is,
1: is that just a coincidence or is that the author named the character after that town?
0: I, I think it's intentional. Like it's an intentional little funsies because the um, he also drinks Rainier in the book. I don't know if, in the books, there's a series of books. I've never mm-hmm. read them, but the, I know but he, that it's a and thing. And they
1: show him drinking it. He doesn't yeah. just drop the name. They yeah. show the cans and everything and yeah. later in the episode. But he says, anyone who's ever sat down with me knows that I drink Rainier and only Rainier. Not a single can in that truck was Rainier because it's all litter I picked up because I hate to see litter. And that was one of those little moments I really enjoyed. There's an earlier moment where he's walking down the street and he like kind of, he does that kind of like, it's not quite a run, but it's kind of a quick walk to get after a piece of trash that uh-huh. the wind has picked up and step on it. And he picks it up, drops it in a trash can. Yeah. You know. So it it scans. Uh-huh. But it does feel a little white. Why didn't he say that to his daughter yeah. in the previous scene? Also,
0: uh, this is totally an aside for Longmire fans who've joined us. Uh-huh. This scene is the first, the scene of him talking to Branch is the first scene in the series where we see the famous Robert Taylor Point where he points at things with sort of a relaxed hand, very similar to a performance tick that Harrison Ford has.
1: Yeah. which I didn't notice the point. Harrison
0: Ford's performances as Indiana Jones were one of Robert Taylor's two big influences on his portrayal of Longmire.
1: Interesting. Uh Definitely didn't didn't come through, except maybe in the point, which I didn't actually notice in that scene. But I might have been looking down at my notes <laughs> anyway
0: please continue yeah
1: no thank you for that little uh little tidbit but basically he kind of implies you you have a lot to learn about actual detective work and grabs a copy of uh how do the baskervilles off of his bookshelf and hands yeah. it to him and says read this and brush up on your detective work uh but also just him littering how wholesome another example of him being really wholesome you know pick up litter yeah pick it yeah. up litter uh, so then, uh, there's more detective stuff, and it leads Walt to find out that it was actually this busboy who owns the RV, and Henry helps arrange a meeting between him and Walt. Um, uh, his name was, like, A-Avo or something? It was an, uh, an unusual Avo. name. Avo. So, um, they have a meeting at, like, some abandoned house out in the boonies or whatever. He shows up and is surprised to find out that Walt is there. Now, this is a bit weird. They have a little scene where he talks to Henry, and Henry addresses the fact that Walt has not apologized to him yet. And Walt continues to not apologize. And he says, like, we need to meet up with, with Avo. And he says, I suggest, Henry says, I suggest we try an OIT. An old Indian trick. And then the old Indian trick is just to make a meeting with someone and then show up early. Guess that's, that's a good trick. But also, it was in this scene that I really noticed the sort of affected delivery vocal delivery that Lou Diamond Phelps is doing of the lack of of contractions Mm -hmm. which felt it just felt very tanto and I was uncomfortable with it now I uh I live in one of the whitest towns cities in the country Seattle Mm -hmm. uh for its faults I have never met or at least never spoken at length with anyone who grew up on a reservation so I not I cannot say with authority that people who grew up on reservations don't talk like that. However, it felt affected and also Lou Diamond Phillips is not a Native American. He is half Filipino, half Scots-Irish. And he's played, seems like, pretty much every other ethnicity under the sun. I don't know if he's ever actually gotten to play someone who is half Filipino. Mm -hmm. Or even all Filipino. Some variety of Filipino. Be cool for his career. But you look like you were expecting me to comment on this.
0: I I have some thoughts on sort of portrayals of Native Americans in this show, because at the time I was watching the show, um, I tracked down some essays on the show by Native Americans who I do not presume to speak for, but I just, I heard some interesting perspectives on the show. Uh, and that is something I'd like to talk about in, in, as we're sort of wrapping things up structurally. In final verdict Mm -hmm. time. Sure. Uh, that being said, I love the fact that this character never uses contractions because it is something that, that, steadfastly continues with the character through the entire run of the show. Yeah. And Lou Diamond Phillips is the only character who speaks that way. Like, and it's, oh, nobody else does. No. Okay. That's something. It's, it's something that becomes a quirk of Henry as opposed to a quirk. It's not like all the native American characters in the show speak that way. or Like it's meant to be like, you know, his tribe speaks that way or something like that. It's just this sort of interesting quirk of him as a person based on how he developed and like the kind of speech patterns that he has. Now, I I don't know what the choice or the direction or whatever was for that, but he just, Mm. it's a very precise way of speaking.
1: Yeah. And I I didn't notice it in the other scenes. Mm -hmm. So maybe he doesn't always do it.
0: He he never he uses a contraction once through the entire series, and it was a mistake when they were making the episode. Wow. Yeah. Because
1: I didn't notice it in the scene when like he he's talking to the girls in the bar, or when uh-huh. he uh, Longmire first is like, You're on an escort service out of my town. He doesn't say it like that, but... Uh, I didn't notice it until that scene where he's like, What I think that you should do is this, but since I do not believe that you will do that... I suggest that you do this. It just becomes like really, maybe they just wrote that line poorly so that it contained too many words that most people would contract and it became too noticeable. I just started to feel like he was doing a voice kind of, and I was like, also I just, uh, there is an inherent level of uncomfortableness because I don't know a lot about the experience of native people in the US in general, much less specifically of Cheyenne people. So I was like, bracing myself for a bad representation because that happens more often than it doesn't. Right. So I guess that that kind of made me go like, "Well, that's a thing I've seen in old movies.
0: As I got deeper into the series, I was like, I'm really curious how, you know, Native American people feel about this. Yeah. Because, you know, spoiler alert, there are loads of Native American characters in this yeah. played by actual Native American people, which makes the casting of Lou Diamond Phillips as Henry, like, all the more kind of like, Hmm. Like, interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, he's, he's great. A, he's a great character. He's a great actor. But... <laughs> but I'm a little... I was sad watching this pilot to see that uh, Zon McLaren's character, Chief Matthias, only gets the one scene where he's just kind of... Uh,
1: he, he gets a little moment at the end, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's, that's right. He's at, he's at the end. Yeah. But he just... He doesn't really get... Explored further and like oh
1: he he gets real good later. Him as a
0: character just he gets fleshed out and they're good good. And so, so you know, I was just curious what Native Americans thought about this. And and so I actually went to Google and I was like, what do Native American people think of Longmire? And I found this think piece that was written on it, and just talking about how and granted this is anecdotal. I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody else, but this one writer was talking about how refreshing and exciting it was to see a show where native American people got to be all different kinds of characters, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's sort of similar to black Panther that we just got to experience globally last year that you had, um, you had black people playing all different roles. Like there were good ones and bad ones and betrayers and loyal ones and, you know, smart ones and dumb ones. It's just like, they got to be this very diverse group of people.
1: Because they played most of the cast.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and
1: one person wasn't carrying the weight of being the one
0: who was the black one. Yeah, or the whatever. one yeah. person
1: who's a minority in an epi- in a show or in an episode, even sometimes, just the fault of the writer is is forced to like be all things. Yeah. Um.
0: And that, that is something that develops over the course of Longmire that there are Native American characters in the show who get all kinds of different roles. Yeah granted because of the show's source material and the you know who's writing it or whatever it's i'm i'm not saying that all those portrayals are good i'm not saying that they're all transcendently yeah change you know change the genre or anything but, but at
1: least but, one person felt that it was refreshing yeah. and it was generally positive that's somewhere to start honestly because yeah. there's plenty of shows where people practically across the board disagree you know don't like the portrayal of a particular minority right. or something like that
0: i've Also, just one last point on this Lou Diamond Phillips casting. Uh, I have also read that he was, you know, he sought out people to talk to about this portrayal and, like, was very engaged with it. And very much, it was important to him to make uh, Henry a very real and believable person. Yeah. Now, again, uh, you know, that's not...
1: It doesn't make up, it's not... Well then it's just as good as an actual right. native person playing. Yeah.
0: Not at all what I'm saying, but Yeah, yeah, it, no, just, I I know. It
1: it I know you. I know you do. Know. But the podcast listeners might not, so we have we should right. be clear.
0: But it but it you know, obviously I want to I'm someone who's passionately into the idea of the improvability of humanity. Yeah. And I just, you know, when something is good but could be better, it's worth talking about. Yeah. Uh, that be all of that being said. Yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips, what a fox.
1: What a f- Oh, my God. Not even a silver fox, because he's barely graying. Uh-huh. Like, he's an onyx fox. He's like a the hematite fox. I don't know. I couldn't come up with a better <laughs> thing that is shiny and not silver. Obsidian anyway. fox? Ah! Oh, you nailed it. You nailed it, you bastard. Obsidian fox. That one just feels <laughs> good to say. <laughs> That's somebody's username on, like, uh, AO3 or something, right? Oh, right? Some fucking furry. <laughs> That's someone's furry gemsona of Obsidian Fox. All right, rabbit hole, removed. <laughs> Return to the recap. And we're back. So they meet up at this, like, abandoned house or something, and he's like, Oh, you weren't supposed to be here. Uh, and then they start talking, and basically this kid says, Look, I, I, all right, I'll cop to owning the RV. I'm running a brothel. Yes. I swear to God I didn't kill that dude. And he starts rambling about, like, I told him to take care of the guy, but I didn't think he'd kill him. And Walt's like, who? And he rambles for a little bit. And Walt's like, yo, buddy. Hey, hey, hey. Give me a name over here. He didn't actually act like that. Right. But it was like the guy's like, blah, blah, blah. And Walt's like, a name. And then he goes, hold on. Let me go stand directly in front of the one window in this uh, cabin before I deliver the name of the villain. You know the villain who, like, has a sniper rifle and they can shoot people very accurately from very far away? Just, to, I'm just going to stand in front of this window before I say his name? I don't know if that actor just didn't do a great job or if it was bad blocking, but it was so... Like, he just walks over to the window and goes, and now the killer! And he gets shot, of course. I'm, I'm like, could you stop? He keeps walking by the window, and I'm like, buddy, buddy, there is a sniper, and you are about to reveal his name to the cops. Windows are bad for you. He gets shot, Longmire runs over, sees the sniper running away, goes to the guy, and it's like, give me a name, give me a name, and the guy's like, blood bubbling, dead. So then uh, we have a nice little bit of daring do on Longmire's part where he remembers a fact someone told him earlier in the episode about these old sniper rifles, which is that they take about five seconds to reload between cartridges. Uh-huh. I bet that's the wrong word, and gun enthusiasts will be like, "How dare?" And I will be like, "You're a gun enthusiast. I don't care about your opinion." Anyway, he does this whole, you know, action sequence where he's like hiding behind something and then counts to five. As he runs, 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 and then dives behind some cover and, poof, get, you know, the guy shoots yeah. again. Anyway, he manages to somehow get to his truck. And uh, then the, the the sniper goes in his truck and he is uh, chasing the sniper. He somehow gets in front of him. I, I kind of, it was it was all action-y. And he shoots the, the sniper through the windshield. strolls up to the truck uh, where the uh, sniper is bleeding in the front seat. And it is the pawn shop owner. Mm-hmm. Who conveniently, you know, when he provided two times in the episode, he appears to provide more names of other people who've bought that kind of rifle to, you know, throw him off the scent. Right. Uh, I skipped the whole scene where Deputy Dickhead is real cocky about the fact that they arrested the boyfriend of the woman whose daughter is missing. Right. Who owns one of those rifles and seems good for it, for killing, you know, the his girlfriend's ex, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, Longmire kind of makes a fool of Deputy Dickhead by saying, this isn't the gun that killed this man. And he's like, we haven't done ballistics yet. And he makes a big dramatic gesture of picking up one of the, I'll try a different word, slugs, uh, putting it in, pointing at the ceiling, pulling the trigger, and it just goes click. And he says something. I know a fact about these guns that if you don't clean them, they get all messed up and they won't fire. And so the guy is standing there. in the little jail cell and he's like turns to Deputy Golly and says unlock him and see him to his door or whatever like drive him home. Um, And Deputy Dickhead is all like you didn't have to do that. Which is true. (laughs) But also you didn't have to run for sheriff and lie about it. So Uh, can't really blame uh, uh, Walt for kind of making him look dumb. Yeah. But uh, anyway the pawn shop owner is like bleeding out and he confesses he tells Walt where the RV is parked and then does this like call me an ambulance Walt and as Walt walks away he kind of cockily says I don't own a cell phone and at first I was like is he just gonna let this guy bleed out I mean I understand that this guy has murdered two people and was complicit in um a, a a underage prostitution ring so it's not like I pity him I'm just not comfortable with cops being like I get to decide who deserves to bleed out but then I realized oh he's walking back to his truck to radio yeah He's got a radio in his truck. We've established that. He's just—it's just a little callback to the fact that people have been hassling the whole episode yeah. to, buy, to get a cell phone. Anyway, uh, then they find the girl. There's a little bit of a montage where Vic, Kitty Sackhoff's character, like goes into the RV and talks to the girl, and it—you know—they take the girl home, and there's a—it's a there's a song going on yeah. in the background. Couple of odd needle drops in this show. When he first gets in his car to go meet Vic at the beginning, when he's been, like, in his little shack in the woods and everything, it's, like, a surprisingly, like, kind of modern-sounding kind of country rock tune.
0: Yeah, the it's show has fair. an odd needle drop. Like, there are odd, thematically jarring needle drops yeah. in the show. like often.
1: Yeah, I don't remember as much about the song that played during this, but it felt also kind of like well, oh, that's not what I would have chosen. Play, they find the girl, they take her home, her mom embraces her. The tribal police chief, uh, Matthias, mm-hmm. and Longmire share kind of a look of like, alright this time we were both, you know, on the side of mm-hmm. actual justice, and he's like kind of, alright, I'm still not happy with you, but every now and then you do the right thing. So that was kind of a nice moment. And then the episode ends with one final scene where we see Walt hammering a wooden cross on the side of the highway and Randy Travis started playing in my head immediately. Do you know that song? (laughs) There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway. (laughs) It's a freaking classic, y'all. Anyway, he's uh, hammering a wooden cross on the side of the highway, which we, of course, immediately assume, oh, he's finally, maybe this is how his wife was killed. Maybe she was uh, killed in a you know a car accident, which would make his car accident even more resident. Um, it would be an excuse for why they even bothered to include a car accident mm-hmm. in the show. Um, he's hammering the thing, and then you see, like, gets a staple gun. He staples something to it, which you're like, well, that's weird. Uh, it's immediately across the highway from uh, Deputy Dickhead's campaign sign. She feels weird, but if that was the spot where she actually was killed, that's where he would put it. And then he gets back in his truck, and they show that her box her tea box is sitting Mm -hmm. on the passenger seat. And you're like, "Uh aha, he must've just emptied it or something. then he reaches over, kind of sets his hand on it and starts up his truck and drives away. And it pans out to show that what he was stapling to the cross was actually a longmire for sheriff sign, (laughs) a much smaller and more, uh, unimposing, humble one than deputy Dickhead's big sign with a big photo of him with his arm crossed and a, cowboy hat on yeah and a nice slogan and all that crap but still you're like oh okay so they tricked us into thinking he was doing the thing for his wife's ashes but instead it was this but then why did he have her ashes in the car with him yeah why does he just take it for a ride sometimes you just go like hey honey you want to go for a sunday afternoon drive like i don't know if that's good presumably that will be explored more in the show but i felt very like would have been a nice ending to the episode. That, like, we know he's still not going to be emotionally over it. But for him to at least deal with the ashes, with the mm-hmm. reality of that, or to show him finally changing their their uh, answering machine message, or I don't know, something like that, I would have expected maybe at the end of the episode. Instead, it's showing he's not going down without a fight. Yeah. He's going to fight, you know, Deputy Dickhead, which was, it felt weird, weird revealed because... I never got the impression throughout the episode that he was going to give up. Yeah. It's not like they teased, oh, maybe he's going to accept what everyone says about him. That he's washed up and he needs...
0: Right. So there's a a tiny detail, which is maybe a spoiler, but Walt has, in the last five sheriff elections, or however many sheriff elections, he's always run unopposed. Like, he's mm, never campaigned, okay. he's never bothered to, cam- he's never campaigned at all because he think he doesn't, he's not a political yeah. animal. He does the job. Yeah. And people keep reelecting him because he does, he does the, the job. The job.
1: That, uh, that, that absolutely reads, that's not a surprise at all.
0: Right. And so, even though it, it's a theme that is never expressed in that episode, a thing that does happen is Walt does actually decide to campaign a little bit. You know, put up a few signs and everything like that. Which is a that's a change for him. Yeah. Because a thing that he will be dealing with throughout the his campaign against branch is the fact that does he actually want to be sheriff? Is sheriffing what he actually wants? He it's just kind okay. of always been there for him. Yeah. And he you know, he obviously does the job out of, you know, duty or whatever, but this is the first time his doing of the job is challenged. Okay. You know, it's that typical hero. It's 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 almost like this show begins as a sequel. You know, it's always a thing in like the se- Spider-Man 2. You know, do I want to be Spider-Man? Yeah. I don't know. Do I want to be the sheriff? Yeah. I need to think about this.
1: That's interesting because it's certainly the kind of thing that could be something that comes up in like the third season of a show. Uh-huh. A character who is just... The premise of the show is that he was a sheriff, so it was never thought about. And then when they needed to shake things up a few seasons in, they'd have him be, well, maybe he doesn't even want to be the sheriff. Right. So interesting that that's going to be something big right from the get-go. But I was... um,
0: And I will say that your two comments about the ashes and the answering machine are things that are addressed in later episodes. Yeah.
1: No, I'm sure they will be. It just felt weird that like, okay, but then why were the ashes in the car? Yeah, yeah. Why was he just driving her around? He's like... Ugh, honey, I have to put up some campaign signs. This is really hard for me. Will you, will you come along and hold my hand? I don't know. It, it felt a little bit like... it. Maybe they did it for a very specific reason. It felt to me like... When you do something to misdirect the audience... Mm-hmm. From your real intention. So you can surprise them. But then the thing you did for the misdirect doesn't make sense. Right. In retrospect. Maybe they did it for a specific reason. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point. Because I enjoyed the rest of the show. So... Shall we move on from this recap?
0: Where did the money go? In this segment, we talk about what we think they were spending money on when they made this pilot and sort of talk about the budget of yeah. the pilot.
1: Yeah. Kind of just, it, did anything stand out as like, well, that's where they blew all their money and maybe yeah. they had to make up for it in other areas? Yeah. Or whether it felt well spread out, mm-hmm. which I would say a lot of outdoor shooting yeah in this it is it is well spread out there's nothing obvious i mean lou diamond and phillips cannot be cheap, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not he's a <laughs> a Class classic but anyway it's it, a lot of outdoor shooting and a lot of scenes in rooms with big windows uh-huh the the office mm-hmm. of the sheriff station which he mentions in a nice moment is uh, used to be a, a library yep it's got a real good feel to it like that he's got these amazing like wall sconces in his office and a great bookshelf and it has big windows like old buildings used to before electricity when they needed to make use of right. daylight. But it, in that way, there's a lot of sets uh, for the show that don't feel like sets. Yeah. And I don't know if they were shot in actual locations or if they just did some TV trickery to make it look like it was out, uh, you know, daytime outside. Uh-huh. But if it was really shooting in actual locations, and having to do with actual daylight, that increases the cost. For yeah, sure.
0: definitely. Over the course of the show, there's a lot of natural light. Mm-hmm. And so they'll do a lot of really cool things like shoot during golden hour or whatever. There's just like, there's a lot of really beautiful cinematography. Which I think is one of the yeah. reasons that I do think of this as more of a Western. You'll, you'll get a lot of those big sky, yeah. vista kind of things.
1: That was, I think, the one thing I got kind of that Western vibe from.
0: Fun fact, most of the exteriors of the town are shot in Las Vegas, New Mexico.
1: Oh. <laughs> I always forget there's a Las Vegas in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time someone says it, I go, oh, yeah. Oh, also flipping that truck was an expensive thing to do in a pilot. Yeah. When it wasn't load-bearing for the plot. So it's an interesting choice for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Cliffs and Ships. Cliffs and Chips? Oh, I'm so hungry. I want chips. Anyway.
0: In this segment, we talk about <laughs> if we have any predictions for character relationships and also cliffhangers.
1: For the first season. Or any general predictions about where the show is going.
0: Now, obviously, I've seen all of the episodes of the show, so yeah. this is mostly on Sarah. But uh, let's see what we got
1: here. I mean, Vic and Golly have got... No, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, that would be hilarious, but... Um... I'm, I don't ship anyone in particular. Mm -hmm. It would be so easy if they had leaned towards the uh, secretary being more of like the long suffering girl secretary of the detective kind of trope from like old movies. Mm -hmm. They'd gone more that, not, not girl secretary, his age, but she seems maybe, maybe even a little bit older than him. And like, she's got a husband and kids at home. She doesn't need his shenanigans. It would have been easy to set her up as that kind of character who's maybe held a torch for him. Mm-hmm. And just put her in there so that a few seasons down the road, once he starts to move on and deal with his wife's death, maybe there could be something there. But it, I I would be very shocked if they went that way.
0: She, she does have a bit of that characterization with the previous sheriff. Oh. Who you will meet in later episodes. Oh, fun. And I will not spoil who plays him because oh, it please is... please do not. A, perfect bit of casting I
1: would be furious with you That'd those be like of friendship ending stuff
0: those of you who have watched the show though you know exactly who I'm talking about and oh. isn't he glorious
1: it, it, oh <laughs> I love a I love a good bit of stunt casting mm. but yeah i I didn't they didn't set up anyone who you could even think maybe in a few seasons I mean they could they could always introduce someone later but definitely no one in the pilot for like Walt to possibly like move on with yeah um nobody set up for uh henry except for any woman with eyes uh most men with eyes people with eyes and pulses <laughs> the kind of people who are attracted to lou Demon phillips i honestly as soon as i realized they could have done this it wasn't something i noticed while watching the show because i was just taking it in after the show was over i realized boy they could have done some tension between deputy dickhead and vic and i'm so glad they did not i hope they don't go there they're the, they're uh, roughly the same age and they're the two most attractive like young people on the show. It wasn't there in the pilot. I'm not saying they're never going to go there, but uh, they don't. You're smirking. I I just I really honestly I don't know from the pilot yeah. whether Debbie Dickhead is going to improve or get worse. I feel like it could go either way. He what? was not irredeemable in the yeah. pilot.
0: Which is one of my favorite things about the early seasons of the show with Branch is that he's... And and this is something oh, that you very... Branch is his first name, folks.
1: Yeah. Strangely, did not just do the thing where we're calling him like Longmire and he called... No, his name is Branch Connolly. Yep. Just for the record. Yeah.
0: I think that this is another piece of good writing in, in terms of the show is he is definitely an antagonist uh-huh. in terms of him and Walt butting heads and him running for sheriff against Walt and everything like that. But there are definitely moments later on in the show where there's like a gun battle or something. And Walt isn't like, well, I don't trust you to watch my back. Yeah. You know, it's, which I think is some good writing because we, as the, we, as the audience also agree, you know, we never think that this guy is evil.
1: Yeah. He just genuinely thinks that Walt is a little past his prime. Yeah. Which we've seen, there's evidence to support his ideas, uh-huh. and he thinks maybe he can shake things up and be a better sheriff. But he's not depicted as like twirling his mustache about yeah. it, you know. He's also clean shaven because he's a very attractive young fellow, so he has no mustache to twirl.
0: I will say, Sarah, that your uh, your take on sort of the the romantic possibilities is is pretty spot on. Yeah. That being said. When you have watched the entire series, we are definitely going to sit down and record you yelling about a lot of things. Oh,
1: boy. Wait. Good yelling or bad yelling?
0: I think just yelling.
1: Okay. All right. I'm
0: definitely going to turn the peak down on the (laughs) microphone way down.
1: Okay. All right. Something I forgot to mention that I'm very excited for them to get into Uh is that the first scene with Vic, she does some good expo log where she goes, look... I know I've only been here for six months, but I'm not exactly a rookie. I worked homicide in Philadelphia for X number of years. It's like, whoa, we just got a, yeah. just a mouthful of, uh, of information about the character's background. It's completely dropped then for the rest of the episode. Yeah. She's just a person for the rest of the episode. They don't make a meal of her being a rookie. The other deputies don't push her around. She doesn't do a lot of, I earned my jockstrap, kind of yeah. pr- proving herself to the boys stuff. She never mentions, why the hell did you move here from Philadelphia? We get none of that. So it definitely, they drop that in so you'd be like, ooh, what? But then they were saving that, saving that for later. They give no hints. Not even a general vibe of like, she didn't want to move here and she really had to. Except for the feeling that she doesn't feel... like she's being appreciated yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean she was forced to move here because like she moved here to take care of an aging parent or something like that like we have nothing they really gave us nothing to suggest why she moved from Philadelphia six months ago which is I'd be like god it could go anywhere I'm trying to think of like a prediction but like right I yeah I got I got nothing it's it's like the dark version of a Hallmark romantic movie where you know Big city cop lady has to move to a small town and then she meets like a nice guy who owns the feed store and they fall in love or some they shit. They
0: learn to bake cake. <laughs> One of the things that I loved about the characterization of Walt and Vic through the entire series in terms of them both being police is that there's never there's never any of those exchanges where it's like, I know I'm a woman, but I'm as good of a police officer yeah. Because it would have been so easy, so easy, to have Walt yeah. be this, you know, I'm old school and I don't think women should yeah. be lying. Yeah, he's not and old he,
1: fashioned in that way. Yeah, He
0: just does not care.
1: Yeah, it's more that he's treating her like a rookie because she's new to this game. Exactly. He trusts that she has skills, but she doesn't realize how much she doesn't know about this specific game, being a sheriff in a small town and all the ins and outs of that. I do want to say that just now you said Walt and Vic and a shiver ran through my whole body. And it's not just because it's really cold in your studio right now.
0: It is very cold in here.
1: I almost don't want to say it. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to have my eyes closed so I can't see the expression on your face when I say it. But if Walt and Vic hook up, I will riot. I want it on the record. (laughs) I want a mentor relationship. And now that I've said it out loud, I ship Vic and Katie, his daughter. Vic and Katie.
0: And you know, Ride
1: or die. Vic and Katie. Do it. Do it, Annie. Do it, Netflix. I trust you.
0: I think if Katie Sackhoff was in charge of everything, that would be where where the show would go.
1: Yeah. To clarify, Vic is Katie Sackhoff's character. Katie, C-A-D-Y, is the lawyer daughter.
0: Yeah. Which is a perfect segue into our next segment. Where do I know this guy from?
1: So, uh, aside from Lou Diamond Phillips, who, Uh if you're listening to this and you still haven't figured it out, he was Richie Valens and La Bamba. He's been in lots of other movies. Stand and Deliver uh, probably is one of his other very notable roles. Um, I don't know. I think I kind of black out every time he's on screen because he's so attractive and I forget what he's been in. But he's been in a lot of stuff. He's a hard-working actor, is what I'm saying. But uh, Katie Sackhoff, of course, playing Vic from Battlestar Galactica, even though I've I've only seen the pilot of that show and I was not, not sold. But many people are big fans. Those I already knew, though. The two that I went, oh, they look familiar, and I had to look them up afterwards, were Deputy Dickhead, Mm -hmm. the actor's Bailey Chase, and I was able to figure out where I recognized him from, which I don't always. He was one of the initiative soldiers on Buffy, uh, Riley's pals. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he he was a dickhead in that, too. He was kind
1: of a dickhead in that, too. Although, I seem to recall that he was kind of a dickhead in a, we gotta follow the rules way, not in a, like sneaky, mustache twirling way. Kind of the way he is on this show. Yep. I haven't watched Buffy in a very long time. He is a good looking guy in a very like, I was in the Marines and I go to the gym a lot sort of way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if, that,
1: if that scans.
0: That's That scans for me. clean
1: cut, high and tight haircut, you know. Yep. By the book, likes to follow the rules kind of guy. Uh, and then uh, the actress who played his daughter looked super familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her IMDb and her Wikipedia couldn't figure out what I would have recognized her from. You, on the other hand, I suspect would have known her from Smallville.
0: Might have been one of the later. I'm not as yeah. It wasn't. On...
1: A, it wasn't definitely like a series regular, right. but she was in a number of episodes for like three seasons. Mm-hmm. I I do feel like yeah, it was later in the show. I don't know who she played though, because I assumed you would just go, oh, totally. I knew that.
0: Before we wrap up this segment, I just wanted to do like a little honorable mention to Zon McCla- McLaren, who plays Matthias. Mm-hmm. I, I know he didn't get a lot to do in this episode, but he very much is one of my absolute favorite characters through the series. And for those of you who haven't watched the series but are big fans of HBO's Westworld, he has a recurring role as one of the uh, Native Americans' uh, Akichita in I think I'm saying that name right in season two of Westworld, and once again, like yeah, on Longmire, I, you said he said that, and I yeah. feel
1: like I've seen gifts of him on yeah. the internet, maybe because I've watched Westworld.
0: He's a huge sensation, and when I heard when it, when he first showed up in the first episode of season two of Westworld, I lost my mind because I I'd, I'd seen years of him on Longmire, and yeah. he's just phenomenal. Also, because he's an actor who could very easily just played the five or six stock Native American characters in Hollywood because yeah. he has a very distinctive looking face and physicality and everything. He's got the long hair. Yeah. And yet he continues to play characters who have beautiful nuance and sort of deeper stories to tell.
1: Which honestly is so fortunate Yeah. for an actor to even get those chances. Yeah. I mean, the actor then has to do something with it. It sounds like from your perspective, he certainly has. Oh, but he like, does. But just to get those chances seems like... It's kind of a precious thing. Yeah,
0: like like in even
1: in, in this year, with starts with a two.
0: Yeah, he's just he's great, and right. I just I had to take a moment to celebrate him. Because I'm, I'm
1: excited to get to see more of him because yeah, we really don't we yeah. don't get much. He's just kind of a hot headed. Yes, although it, depicted as reasonably angry, angry for he's got reasons. Yeah. Uh, anyway,
0: it's time for our next segment, which is
1: what. The show be. Granted, <laughs> does his, like creepy Muppet voice for some reason. What will this show
0: be? In this segment, we just sort of talk about predictions for the day-to-day runnings of the show.
1: Because sometimes the pilot spends so much time kind of building up the world and setting up the premise. You don't really know until episode two what the average mm-hmm. episode is going to feel like. It seems like this is going to end up being a relatively straightforward crime procedural, except in the sense that it's got this style to it. Every episode, there's going to be a crime, and mm-hmm. they will probably solve it by the end. I forgot to mention in Cliffs and Ships that I was assuming that the main arc for season one is going to be the the election. I don't know how long elections last. It's really not a whole year.
0: It's odd with the show because they the The amount of time that passes over the six seasons is less than two years.
1: Oh. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Uncon like, for a show like this not to. You gotta have a Christmas episode over here, right. you know? and
0: yet the amount of, like, crimes and things that happen, like, there's a little bit of a... a...
1: There's always a suspension of disbelief. Yeah. With, with With a crime procedural that's not set in New York or <laughs> Chicago or something right. like that. There's always a suspension of disbelief that there are this many murders and and mm-hmm. crimes and things. I mean, Cabot Cove is a deadly place to live. You guys,
0: it is interesting to me listening to you talking about the the plot and sort of the recap of the pilot. That characters like like you you never mentioned Bob except to say like some hunters, but one oh, the,
1: they be, they become
0: one of the yeah one of the things that's. Oh. Wonderful. That stuff
1: was all great with that character. Yeah. I just was trying to. No, no, it's it's it up, all right. So, but it, yeah. it's just
0: it's a fascinating thing to, to kind of look at. Coming back to this pilot of how many of these sort of like kind of side character randos of yeah. of uh, Absaroka County become ongoing repeating people throughout yeah. the series like Bob, like the uh, the gun expert that Walt goes and talks to.
1: Oh, I was like, this guy has got to be a recurring character because he shows up for half a second. He's got just enough character about him. He clearly wasn't just for this one episode, mm-hmm. but also not so much character that it was like, ah, oh, this is a wacky scene for this episode. I was like, this guy's got to come back. The Hunter, I felt less so, but I'm not surprised. It's a small town. You've got to read yeah. the same people. Right. I, other than, yes, relatively straightforward crime procedural with kind of that slow, you know, vibe that takes its time with little moments and character beats and things like that seems like it's probably that's what the show's going to be like. Yeah. Alright, so we can move on to our final segment. Final verdict. Did this show do the job of a pilot and make you want to watch more? Absolutely. It would have been so easy to roll into episode two Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had to wait till we recorded this episode. I was very glad that I put off watching it just because I was busy until... 48 hours before we were going to record this and I kind of wished I'd put it off till the next night uh, just because I was like, "Oh, I, I just want to roll right into that second episode. The only thing I have reservations about... Oh, God. I said I have reservations. I'm so sorry. That was unintentional. The only thing I'm a little <laughs> concerned about is oh the portrayal of the Cheyenne characters. Not because of anything specific in this episode, just because I'm worried about that in general. Especially yes. because I don't have the knowledge to tell when it's wrong or not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, on high alert, like, am I being fed stereotypes and bullshit? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be, but, oh, I don't know. Just the fact that the main character in the show that's Cheyenne is played by someone who isn't just immediately puts me on alert. The -hmm. the red flags are all, woo! (laughs) I just did a gesture like I was waving some flags around that you guys missed. Some good uh, space work.
0: This could totally be incorrect, but I believe that the character of Henry is meant to be someone who is biracial.
1: That would be nice.
0: And Lou Diamond Phillips <laughs> is someone who is biracial. Yes. Which is an, an I mean, that, it, again, cast people to play the kind of people that they actually are, but it's, yeah that is a an aspect, like, hearing uh, creative people like Key and Peel talk about how that is like such a different experience. Yeah. To, and that is something that I know that Lou Diamond Phillips has talked about a lot about coming from like these two different worlds and sort of having that experience.
1: That certainly is, yeah, that, that helps. And Mm -hmm. the fact that he doesn't live on the reservation, that that makes sense that he might, you know, have, he at least knows the experience of being from two different worlds yeah, and not, you know, that, that thing that I've heard many people say, not being white enough, for whatever, you know, non-white half they yeah. are, and not, but not, uh, no, being too white for the non-white half, not yeah. white enough for the white half, yeah. you know, that that vibe, which I, I'm not going to say I know exactly what it's like, but I've felt a certain amount of that because I'm Jewish, but my mom converted. She was raised by uh, Norwegian Lutherans from the Midwest. So there are times that I feel like, when I'm around people who was like, both parents were Jewish, both parents are like Ashkenazi and like they were, they were seeped. They had two sets of grandparents speaking English around them and I feel like, you know, not Jewish enough. But, so like, that's, that is a real thing.
0: Yeah.
1: I went into this whole personal thing just to say that's a real thing Mm -hmm. and that is a valid thing that he could take the experience of into it. Still not as good as getting an actual Cheyenne actor or at least an actual Native American actor to play the character, but, it's certainly something. And, uh, yeah, nothing about the, sh- a- the actual show, except for that one scene where his vocal pattern seemed a little bit forced. Um, but just between that scene and Lou Diamond Phillips not being native, I was like, okay, uh, I hope this isn't shitty. Mm-hmm. Everything else about the show I freaking loved. Except Deputy Dickhead. But even his character was at least interesting. Yeah. He wasn't drawn in broad strokes. He was given some complexity that they can build from. And it, you know they dropped just enough stuff about Vic's past and why she's there, and yeah, I'm 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 pretty stoked um, to follow to to keep watching this show. I I would be very surprised if I don't watch all of it, especially because I uh, just gave up Father Brown because uh, the new detective in. <laughs> Season four is god-awful, and I just decided it was time to say goodbye, and I need a small-town murder mystery series to watch. Well, Although, Long is very different <laughs> from Paul Not similar, except for uh, small-town murder mysteries, but hey, I'll take it. It sounds like this is going to be a more general crime. It's not a murder mystery, but... <laughs> this first episode was... basically I don't know.
0: So, your final verdict, Sarah?
1: <laughs> is I'm going to watch it. <laughs> so I guess what I would like to know, strangely, is: uh-huh. Are you going to start rewatching it, or are you you feel like you're good, having watched it once? You don't. You're not like, oh, I should rewatch this.
0: I would say that that contemplating like a, a revisit mm-hmm. alongside you, there are two or three episodes specific episodes that i just flat out love that i've been chewing on since they happened Mm -hmm. that i would love to re-watch the series is best in in some of its individual episodes Mm -hmm. the overall thrust of the series i'm not the happiest with but they're characters that i always enjoy revisiting and spending time with and that never goes away the entire run of the series
1: yeah I I would support if you wanted to rewatch some Faves at least from season 1 mm-hmm. so that when when we get together to do an almost inevitable series 1 catch-up episode for me to yell about. Yep. Um you you will have watched some of the episodes at least recently to remember what I'm yelling about.
0: I think that is a definite possibility.
1: <laughs> Ooh, what a sell. It's a definite possibility. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pilot House. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pilot House Pod. Visit our website at PilothousePodcast.com or email us at PilothousePodcast at gmail.com to suggest future shows. Our podcast is entirely listener-supported, so thanks this week to our supporters Chris and Jerome. Visit Patreon.com slash Pilothouse to find out how you can become a series regular. Pilothouse is a Herringbone Society production.
0: I guarantee I will probably do that.
1: (laughs) I guarantee it is almost a sure thing that I will maybe think about possibly doing that.
0: And on that note, bye!